0: Welcome to Cinemocracy. This is a special type of episode because it's the first non-standard episode. I'm calling what I'm doing here a representative cinemocracy. Because uh, just like an elected official makes decisions on behalf of the voters, uh, you <laughs> elected a movie by a certain director or in a certain series, and now that is influencing what what? What other movies I might watch by that same director or in that same series? It is a clumsy title and concept but I'm going with it, because I could not think of anything better. So I had hinted at the fact that I would do something like this, and I first brought it up in the first episode, which was for Castle in the Sky, a Studio Ghibli film by Hayao Miyazaki. And because I've seen very, very few of his movies or Studio Ghibli movies, I wanted to jump in and do more. I wanted to use Castle in the Sky getting voted on as an excuse to watch more of them because I've been interested for a while in watching a lot of them. But there was a question of what direction I was going to go. Was I going to keep going forward in the Studio Ghibli canon? Watch some of the more popular well-known ones first? But I decided to go in a little bit different of a direction. I wanted to go backwards and kind of start earlier on and then kind of move forward chronologically. So I've actually gone back to 19 1968, almost 20 years before the formation of Studio Ghibli, there was a movie called The Great Adventure of Horus, Prince of the Sun. It's a mouthful of a title. And it was directed by Izeo Takahata, who is another well-known director in the Studio Ghibli family. Uh, he directed a Grave of the Fireflies, Only Yesterday, My Neighbors the Yamadas, The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. I have no idea idea if I'm saying any of this correctly, as always. He's also worked as a writer, producer, musical director on other Ghibli movies. So this movie, The Great Adventure of Horace, Prince of the Sun from 1968, was his first major feature. And it's also the first major movie that Miyazaki worked on. Uh, Miyazaki worked on scene design and key animation. Um, There were also some other prominent people who worked on the movie uh, Yasuo Otsuka was the animation director and then also working on key animation were Yasui Mori and Reiko Okiyama and Yoichi Kotabi I absolutely 100% butchered all of those. Like, there are certain names where it's like, I, I feel like I can feel that out. It, it, none of those felt good to me. All of those felt like I just butchered them, and I'm, I'm not going to bother to look up the pronunciations and fix them. Just accept that I got them wrong. Whatever. Moving on. The reason this seemed like a good starting point from a chronological perspective is that from what I've read, this movie seemed to be kind of a... Term- turning point in the animation style being sort of established that Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli movies ended up becoming famous for later on. Uh, I've watched a couple like really short clips of this movie and looked at some stills and it does have that very kind of trademark Studio Ghibli animation look that I recognize from the other stuff that I've seen from them. It was also a very critically well-received movie movie. It was very popular, despite the fact that the production company kind of screwed them over with an extremely short theatrical release. But lots of people seem to have referenced this movie as an important release for Japanese animation, especially in terms of film. And it also really marks the beginning of kind of the partnerships between Haseo Takahata and Miyazaki and some other people. That ended up becoming Studio Ghibli. So it's kind of important in the context of what they went on to do. So, yeah, I'm gonna watch the original Japanese version of this, which was a little difficult to find. The only version of this that is kind of easily available on like streaming services is the English dub that is like a different cut of the movie and goes under the title of The Little. Norse Prince. Uh, I did not want to watch that version. I wanted to watch the original, so this one, the title translates to, as I said before, The Great Adventure of Horus, Prince of the Sun. It originally released on July 21st of 1968, and yeah, I don't have too much more to say. I'm gonna go ahead and watch it. I will be back. And I'm back, and I have watched it, and yeah, I, uh, this more than I even thought I would like I, I was expecting it to be pretty decent but it was very good I mean it wasn't amazing but the animation was actually a lot more impressive than I was expecting and I mean I've seen some other reviews online of people being like oh the you know the animation hasn't aged super well but I disagree I maybe it's just because I really like this style but I thought it looked fantastic just like this really well detailed hand-drawn style with lush backdrops and the uh the movement of like the characters and in the scenes was really distinct and and had a had an interesting energy to it that i liked a lot i thought it stylistically was really appealing so i can totally see why people have uh pointed this movie out as being kind of you know a landmark for japanese animation at the time i mean trying to think of like the other animated movies coming out around this time like for example disney movies um let me just look it up real quick hold on see, 67 was The Jungle Book. 1970 was The Aristocats. I mean, yeah, I mean, that animation is, like, decent, but I don't think it has anything on on this. This looks phenomenal compared to those movies, in my opinion. I wouldn't say that there's a comparison, and that makes it kind of a shame, I think, that this movie didn't get, like, more traction at the time, that it took another, like, 20 years for the people behind this movie to get any of their work kind of recognized. recognized internationally. I mean, even longer than that. I mean, like, I feel like it wasn't until like the late 90s that people really became aware of their work on a really large scale. But Anyway, the the story was also, I mean, it it wasn't super complex, but it had enough complexity, more more than I expected, for sure. I was expecting this to be a lot more kid-aimed than it actually was. I mean, I think it was aimed at kids, but the writing is definitely more adult than you'd expect, I think. Definitely more than, like, those Disney movies I mentioned were offering around this time or even for the next maybe like 30 years after this. Um, so the setup is really simple. Main character is Horus. He is getting chased by wolves. He gets saved by this stone giant who has like a sword stuck in his shoulder and Horus manages to pull it out. And the giant tells him it's the Sword of the Sun and that when he manages to reforge the sword that he'll become the Prince of the Sun. He'll defeat the devil Grunwald. And this devil is like... Corrupting and destroying villages full of people and basically killing everyone. Um, and apparently that happened to Horace's grandfather's village. And as his grandfather is dying, he tells him this story and tells Horace that after this happened, he escaped and went off on his own and regrets it. And tells Horace he should go try to seek out the remains of this village or maybe like the descendants of the village that survived so that he can find his people. And maybe help them. Um, so Horus goes across the sea with his uh, cute bear friend named Koro. They, they never explain how this kid and this bear became friends. But hey, I ain't complaining. This is a cute bear. Um, and yeah, they find this village, and it turns out Grunwald is trying to destroy this village as well. So Horus tries to help them. But the the more interesting plot element comes in when Horus finds this girl Hilda, who is like a loner, who is just on her own in this other like abandoned village. And she tells him how she was cursed, and nobody wants to be around her. But she sings these like beautiful songs, and so. Chorus convinces her to come back to this other village that's full of people with him and she comes back with him and everybody seems to love her and her songs but then later you find out that she is actually Grunwald's sister and so she's technically a demon and Grunwald is kind of using her to turn the villagers against Horus. And so Hilda does some pretty uh, some pretty crazy shit. She like manipulates these villagers and gets them to try to like kill Horus and then she like pushes Horus off of a cliff into like this crazy like psychedelic forest or something. It's, it's a little abstract, but basically she's effectively killing him, except obviously Horus survives. But she's kind of like struggling with her actions because she doesn't necessarily want to be a demon and be doing these things. But she feels like it's kind of her role that she's supposed to be playing. And Horace basically spends the rest of the movie trying to convince her to fight back against this kind of dark side of her. And convince her that just because she's a demon doesn't mean she has to do all of this stuff. And by the end, she ends up kind of sacrificing herself, which I guess kind of like rids her of this like dark half. I feel like trying to describe this does not effectively get across how well the movie tells this story. I mean, it's it's really well presented, and I was very drawn in, even though it is pretty simple, but it has, it really, the movie gives it a certain weight that surprised me that I wouldn't have expected because of the fact that the movie seems like it should be more like kid friendly, but it, it is fairly dark and uh, moody in a way that I liked. I will say I did praise the animation before, there were two specific sequences where the regular animation was like replaced by this series of still images, like still frames. And I could be wrong, but it kind of didn't seem like a deliberate stylistic choice. It actually just kind of felt like the scenes were unfinished. Like they just didn't have the time maybe to finish fully animating all the movement and And to be fair, these sequences, one of them in particular, potentially would have had some of the most movement going on of any sequence in the movie. There's like a whole like army of wolves attacking the village, like this giant pack of wolves and everyone's getting attacked. So there would have been a lot going on. And instead they convey this through like a series of still images of the wolves invading the village and the people fighting them off. And like I said, it didn't seem like deliberate deliberately stylistic i think it was just a matter of they didn't finish the scenes which like fair enough they mostly convey what's happening with the still frames i will say there's a one very specific moment where like a dude falls off of a tower and it's supposed to be kind of like this comic moment but the way that they present it with the still frames just makes it really awkward um so that's probably the only thing the only reason i'm talking i mean that's not super interesting but the only reason i'm talking about that is because i feel like it's one of the few points of the movie where I was like could really specifically point out something that was negative but I mean overall I really liked it and it was a lot better than I was expecting and again it wasn't like amazing it didn't blow me away or anything and I wouldn't say it was on the same level as something like Castle in the Sky but I do still feel inclined to give it a pretty good grade so I think I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 and I would say that if you were a big Studio Ghibli fan or a big Miyazaki fan fan. And you've seen most of those movies, but you've never seen this one or maybe never even heard of it, which I think is totally fair because it seems to be pretty obscure. I would say it's worth Maybe seeking out. Again, if you've seen like most of the other Studio Ghibli movies and are looking for other things in that vein, I don't know if I would recommend it over other Studio Ghibli movies. Again, I haven't seen that many of them and I'm sure that compared to a lot of them, this isn't like maybe something to prioritize, but I'm glad that I made the choice to go back and watch it and I'm now even more excited to keep moving forward chronologically through kind of Miyazaki and the Studio Ghibli catalog. Because this is 1968. This was super low budget. And it's this level of quality. I mean, I think it just goes to show the level of talent involved. But yeah, in terms of seeking this out, like I said earlier, kind of hard to find the version that I found of it. Um, If you are curious maybe how to get your hands on this version, feel free to ask me in the Discord. I uh, I can help you out with that. And yeah, I think that's going to be it for this episode. The first uh, non-traditional, technically non-voted-on episode. The next movie has already been voted on for the next regular episode. But there is one other movie that I've already watched that I'm going to do an episode on that is going to be another non-traditional episode in a slightly different vein. Uh, you'll see when that episode drops. I'm going to try to get that out fairly quickly. Um, but then, yeah, I'm going to move on to the next one that's been voted on. And we'll do that, and there will be more polls. If you want to vote on the next movie I watch, get in our Discord. Link is in the description of the podcast. Uh, Quick plugs, I've got some other podcasts. Check out Untwisted, a podcast where me and a few of my friends talk about this Australian kids' show, Round the Twist. And that's a lot of fun. And then I have another podcast called Consumer Reports. That's C-O-N-S-O-O-M-E-R, Reports. And that is me and two of my friends talking about the recent MCU shows on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we've got one episode out of that so far about WandaVision with more coming soon. Uh, have a good one. Bye.